Shalom, shalom, friends. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We are thrilled to be here with Mark Hetfield, who began his career as a highest caseworker in Rome, Italy, assisting Jewish refugees, refugee applicants from the Soviet Union. He later rejoined the agency in, at its Washington, D.C. representative, and again as its director of international operations. He's held many positions with highest, and he was named president and CEO in 2013. Between his roles at highest, Mark served as senior advisor on refugee issues at the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where he directed a congressionally authorized study on the treatment of asylum seekers. Released in 2005 and still widely used, it is the most comprehensive study on expedited removal to date. Mark and his team were recognized for their work with the Arthur C. Helton Award for the Advancement of Human Rights presented by the American Immigration Lawyers Association. The award itself was named for a leader in the field of refugee protection. He graduated cum laude with a Juris Doctor degree from Georgetown University, from which he also hold, holds a Bachelor of Science and Forest Service. I've been inspired by Mark for a while. Um, just a few of his quotes to give a sense of his thinking. Uh, he says, highest doesn't help people because they are Jewish, but because we are Jewish. He said in Forbes, one of the 3 million refugees set resettled in the United States since the Refugee Act of 1980, not a single one has committed a lethal act of terror on US soil. History is the best evidence that refugees have been a blessing to this country, not a threat. He said in Forbes another time, over a 10 year period, refugees contributed $63 billion more in federal, state and local taxes than they took in services and assistance. Mark, it's an honor to have a, a chance to talk with you today. Great to see you again, Rabbi. So we think our early Tzedek community, our broader modern Orthodox community, our broader Orthodox and our broader Jewish community at large should really be invested in the great work Hayes is doing. Can you give us, you could talk about this for hours. Can you give us a brief state of global refugees today and a, a, um, and a little bit on Hayes's approach to this global problem? Well, the, this, I hate to say it, but the state of refugees today is not good. Uh, we are facing the largest global refugee crisis in human history. It's even larger than it was after the Second World War. And solutions are desperately needed. And it's really important for communities to pitch in, especially communities of faith, and especially one like ours, which has such a rich history and such a rich ethic of helping refugees. You know, it's an amazing thing. To me, it's the most Jewish of work because it is not only in our Torah over and over the need to defend such a population. It is not only in our history of what we have experienced. Um, it is also uh, just the, the power and privilege of where we sit today in many ways as a community and the access and opportunity we have to make a difference. That said, there's so many other causes you could have joined that matter from a Jewish tradition. What was it that drew you to this work in particular? Well, I started highest, as, as you noted in, in my introduction, when we were helping almost exclusively Jews and it was Jews from the Soviet Union. They had experienced really a, a cultural genocide. Um, they. The Soviet government, the, the communist regime did everything they could to separate Jews and, and others from their, from their religions and from their faith. And, uh, and, and, and many Jews, I heard Anatoly Sharansky say many times, or sorry, Natan Sharansky say many times, 
that uh, being Jewish in the Soviet Union was, was just having a birth defect. There was nothing positive about Jewish identity in the Soviet Union. And what Hayes did was we reconnected uh, Jews with everything that is beautiful about Judaism. And we made it their choice about how to be Jewish in their own way. So that to me was such incredibly valuable work. And as it was coming to a, to a natural end, when there were no longer Jews trapped behind an iron curtain, it, it was crystal clear that it was imperative for Hayes and for American Jewry to help others the way that we had been helped and help others get to safety and freedom the way that the refugee program had done that for us. So this transition to highest for highest was a very natural one. And, and like you said, it, it, our, our work is actually more Jewish than ever in that sense. Yeah. What, what are some of the Jewish texts or traditions or stories that have kind of motivated and animated this work for you? Well, the, the bottom line, and we say this often, is that the, the commandment to welcome the stranger, to love the stranger as thyself, or we were once strangers in the land of Egypt, appears in different iterations in Torah no less than 36 times. That's more than any other commandment. And it's, it's not because it's the most important one, but it's the easiest one to forget. It's the easiest one to ignore, to ignore the other, to not treat the other like, like thyself. And so for that reason, it's reiterated over and over and over again. And that's what we feel our, our job is at highest. We, we didn't used to have a, for example, a Jewish community engagement department at highest because we didn't need to explain our work to the Jewish community. Now we do, we have to explain that imperative just like God had to explain it 36 times in the Torah. Beautiful, so beautifully stated. You know, it, there's so much to say around increasing the numbers of acceptance of refugees, the humanitarian relief and resettlement process. How much do you personally and, and, and Hayes think about addressing the root causes as to why people are becoming refugees and our, and our role in, in addressing that dimension of this as well? Well, um, to be honest, you know, we have, we have a division of labor and, uh, and, and Hayes doesn't, we don't address the root causes, right? We address people after they have been displaced. We address after they have had to flee. And we have to rely on others, others like American Jewish World Service to, to address the root causes, to fight the poverty and, and oppression and persecution that causes people to flee in the first place. But once people have to flee, that's when we are absolutely obligated to help them. So we have to realize that we, there are limits to what highest can do and what we can focus on. And with more refugees, more displaced persons in the world than ever before, it's hard enough for us to focus on that, let alone on root causes. So we have to rely on others to do that, but it's, it's absolutely essential. Down and here, looks forward to the day when we no longer have to do our work. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Down here at the border, we've worked with tens of thousands of asylum seekers and refugees. Um, over the last few years. And of course it became harder with the Trump administration stay in Mexico policy, where we actually had to go to the other side of the border to address those, those, those humanitarian needs. Um, how do you understand the state of that stay in Mexico policy today? And who is really holding that back? And is the, is the Biden administration doing all that they can to, uh, to return that back to a responsible policy? That's a very complicated question. Um, uh, 
the and I'm glad to hear you refer, refer to it as Stay in Mexico. I mean, as you know, the official name of that program uh, was quite cynical. It was the Migrant Protection Protocols, MPP. I never call it that, and I'm glad to hear you not calling it that either, because there is nothing protection-oriented about taking asylum seekers who are fleeing for their lives and pushing them back into a dangerous situation. And this was a campaign promise that President Biden had made to end President Trump's policy of pushing asylum seekers back into Mexico while they waited many, many months in very dangerous uh, conditions without access to, to attorneys or, or social assistance to get into the US to, to make their claim to asylum. Um, that, that policy was declared uh, over by the Biden administration. But the fact of the matter is they continued another policy of exclusion, which was just as bad, if not worse, which was Title 42 where under the a pretext of public health, all asylum seekers were pushed back with no screening whatsoever. And then, but then in the meantime, even though they continue that policy of pushing all asylum seekers out and officially ended the, uh, the, the stay in Mexico policy of the Trump administration, uh, the, uh, the Fifth Circuit Court in Texas ruled that they could not discontinue the Remain in Mexico program and they had to in fact continue it um, until certain conditions were met. So they recently had to restart that program. Um, but frankly, we're a little cynical, a little skeptical that they really had to start it back up. I mean, it required reaching a new agreement with Mexico, which the courts really could not compel. Uh, the Biden administration also chose to expand the program to include Haitians, which was not mandated by the court either. So we're taking uh, the fact that they have a gun to their heads, the, the assertion that they have a gun to their heads and restarting their program with a pretty big grain of salt. Um, that program has to end as does Title 42. All we're asking for is not that everybody be let in, but that people get screened. So if they're running for their lives, they get protection. Um, and if they're not running for their lives, if they don't need protection, then they can be pushed back. But that decision has to be made, that determination has to be made and the Biden administration's not doing it adequately, and the Trump administration certainly didn't do it adequately either. So that does continue. You know, one of the questions that I often get being involved in this work and in, in, um, to a certain degree is around um, refugees who arrive um, with, with an education uh, that leans uh, anti-Semitic. And for example, the, we, we recently had a program where we were inviting uh, refugee families in. And when they heard they were Jewish, one after the next said they didn't want to participate. And I wonder, how do you think about that issue, that issue of, uh, as a Jewish organization, I don't know to what degree highest identifies as Jewish or having a Jewish background, but as 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 a Jewish leaning or Jewish organization, um, you know, and the relationship to anti-Semitism that some refugees may hold. Yeah, I mean, we, we view our work as being a, a, a cure, a remedy for, for anti-Semitism, because we, on a personal one-on-one -on -one basis, have interaction with refugees, who many of whom were taught exactly what you said. You know, the refugees who come from Syria make it very clear that they were taught in school that Jews are bad people, that Jews are evil people, and now they know that what they were taught simply isn't true. And many of them have said that nobody has helped them more than what they call Jewish family, because Hyas's partner around the country, our main partner in many, in many cities are Jewish family service agencies. Um, and so the Jewish family service agency is referred to by the Syrian refugees that we help as Jewish family or as their Jewish family. Uh, 
And so they acknowledge that. And, and my only regret is that we can't be helping more Syrian refugees, that we're not helping every Syrian refugee who comes to this country, because I assure you that they, they may have arrived this, to this country with some anti-Semitic teachings in their head, but by the time they're done being welcomed by Hyas and our Jewish Family Service partners, they realize that they had been taught a lie. So in the politics of triage, when one crisis surpasses the previous one in the press, how does the previous uh, group of potential refugees get pushed to the side or not in prioritization? We were all talking about Syrian refugees. And then of course, now this discussion for, for many months has been about the Afghan refugees. How, how, how does a new crisis affect uh, the prior population? Uh, that's a really good question. And it's, it's very frustrating for us. And it's certainly frustrating for the refugees and for the UN Refugee Agency with whom we work for everybody in this field. And the international community has done such a poor job over the last few decades of finding solutions for refugees that that's exactly what's happening. And that's why there are more refugees than ever before because each, each previous crisis gets eclipsed by a new crisis. And, and in fact, even, even today, you know, the Afghan refugees who are coming here or who are running for their lives and leaving for Afghanistan, there's no question about it, um, they're seen by many as jumping the queue in front of millions of Afghans that are already displaced and that have been waiting around for, for decades. The Afghans, even before the crisis in August, was still one of the top three uh, refugee uh, populations in the world. And those are people who have been displaced uh, for many, many decades um, without a solution. So, but, but there's also the Syrian refugee crisis. There's the mass displacement of, of Venezuelans. Uh, there's the Congolese crisis, the Sudanese crisis, um, the, the Burmese crisis. There are ref there, the, the refugee crisis is truly global. Um, and we, we tend to focus on only one and then pay too little attention to the others. But we need to learn how to focus on all of them at the same time. And we just keep getting further and further behind in finding solutions. You know, I, I, I had a small observation and I don't know if it's accurate. I wonder if you can tell me from a, a zoomed out perspective how you've experienced this. In some of the, um, the right wing and in some cases far right ultra-nationalist anti-refugee camps, um, I saw a positive uh, orientation towards accepting Afghan refugees because as almost a critique of the Biden administration that they had ended the Afghan war inappropriately and we should be doing more for those people. Did, do we see a shift in this case around a wider acceptance of this refugee population? Uh, and if so, is that, is, is, do you, could you, do you see that sustaining or as just sort of a, a short-lived uh, short phenomenon? Well, it's too early to tell. What I will say is that there have been a lot of partners that have joined the effort to welcome Afghans that were previously not part of the effort to welcome Syrians or prior Afghans, right? Many evangelical churches, for example, are being very active in welcoming Afghans to their communities. Many uh, former US military are being absolutely adamant in welcoming Afghans uh, into their communities. And so these are, these are new groups of welcome, which has really expanded uh, the, the circle of welcome in this country. So that's definitely a positive sign. But, uh, but there's, that story is still being told. Like one of the problems with the Afghans who are arriving is that they're not arriving as refugees, they're arriving as parolees. And what that means is 
They come here, they don't have access to a green card. They don't have access to stay here permanently. They don't have access certainly to citizenship. They can't bring family members here, even spouse and, and, and unmarried minor children they can't bring here with that status of parolee. Um, so they, what really has to be seen is what is Congress gonna do to make sure that these Afghans who are being brought here are treated no worse than refugees are treated. Um, so we, we'll have to see how Congress acts. Okay, interesting. A philosophical question. Um, do you dream of a world without borders or do you think borders are a responsible, um, you know, long-term uh, um, protection? Yeah, I, I dream of a world where there are borders, but there are doorways within those borders. And that somebody who is running for their life, you can open up the door for that person. I mean, that's what I dream of. You don't push them back and say, you're gonna to have to wait for a year, uh, we're full, right? So I, don't, I certainly don't dream of eliminating borders, but we have to have doorways and they have to open and close. Yeah. Uh, but they have to open for people that need our help. They have to open for people who need rescue. Very powerful. So I think my last question, you know, it's interesting that the Torah not only talks about the ger, that this foreigner as the other, there's also these texts that talk about the ger as all of us, because we are all temporary residents on this planet um, in our short lives. And that moves me not towards just a political and moral obligation, but towards an existential calling to kind of find that kind of foreignness within us. And I wonder to what degree that resonates for you as obviously as both of us privileged citizens, but on an existential level, this feeling that um, we are temporary on this earth and that we too are mere visitors. Yeah, no, absolutely. We are all strangers, right? And it's not just, you don't have to look to our ancestors to know that all of us are strangers on this earth and all of us are humans. And we owe it to each other to protect each other and, and to welcome each other and to love each other. And that's what Hyas is all about. So Mark, in addition to donating to Hyas, what are other ways that people listening can tap in to support this work in one way or another? Well, right now, uh, there are quite a few ways because in addition to our traditional Jewish Family Service for Settlement Partners, we are now uh, accepting welcome circles. These are groups of five or more or congregations that are willing to pool their resources to welcome individual Afghan families among these parolees. So that's what we need right now. Um, people can reach out to our community engagement department. You can see how to do that on our website, www.highest.org and form a, a welcome circle to welcome Afghans to our country. Beautiful. Mark, keep up your wonderful work, you and your team, wishing, wishing you a happy new year and so much continued success. Thank you, you too. Thank you so much.